0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can grab them or click on them, and let's turn to the book of Proverbs. And as you turn there, um, perhaps you've read in the past John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, and if you have, maybe you remember um, the, the journey of Christian uh, along the, the way of the king to the celestial city, and about halfway there... Along his journey, he's joined temporarily by two men named Formalist and Hypocrisy. All all three of them are are traveling along the way, Uh, but then they get to a point where they divide up their ways and go different paths. And that point is called the Hill of Difficulty. So it's a hill Christian must climb, because that's where the way of the king leads. And so even though he's afraid and he uh, desires to avoid it, he knows he cannot. But the thing is, the hill of, of difficulty isn't the only road he can take at this intersection. He has options. So here's how Bunyan picks up the story at this point. He says, here there also were two other ways besides that path which came straight from the narrow gate. One turned to the left, and the other to the right. However, the narrow way went straight up the hill of difficulty. So the story progresses. Christian does go on to ascend the hill, but then Bunyan turns his eyes to these other two guys, to Formalist and Hypocrisy. And this is what he says. The other two men also came to the foot of that hill. When they saw that the hill was very steep and high, and that there were two other easier ways to go, and supposing that these two ways might meet again on the other side of the hill, they resolved to go in those easy paths. Now the name of one of those ways was danger, and the name of the other, destruction, So one took the way called danger, which led him into an enormous, bewildering forest. And the other took the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark pits, where he stumbled and fell and rose no more. It's a sad part of the story. Church, along his way to the eternal destination, to the celestial city, Christian was given an option to split from the way of the king. He had a choice. He could continue to go uh, up the hill, or he could choose two of these other easier options. Christian, we too are faced with these sorts of choices in our lives, aren't we? So we, too, come across intersections where we need to choose between what we know is the way of the king and then the other ways that seek to draw us in and entice us and persuade us. Well, into that dilemma enters the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs, again and again and again, makes a broad distinction between those two very different ways we can go. One of these ways Proverbs will call wisdom, or understanding, or knowledge. The other way Proverbs will call foolishness. Wisdom will see leads to to life, while foolishness will lead to death. So the question we're going to be asking if the Lord gives us the next few months to go through this book is, Are we wise? Will we be wise? So, Church, this morning we come to a new study in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. and As we begin this study this morning, our prayer must be that we become wise, that our hearts are hearts of wisdom increasingly, that we learn to recognize and to then act on the right path to take. Eventually and ultimately that we learn the mind of our Savior, who we've already sung, is the very wisdom of God. So if you have your Bibles again, turn with me to Proverbs, you'll find Proverbs roughly in the middle of your Bible, right after the long book of Psalms. And this morning we'll begin with the first seven verses of the first chapter of Proverbs, uh, which form kind of the title and then the preamble of the book as a whole. So we're going to read this passage as we go this morning, uh, and we're going to take as our outline the, the basic composition of these seven verses. So first... In verse 1, if you look in your Bibles, you see a superscription or a title. That'll be our first point, the title. Uh, The second is the purpose of Proverbs, in verses 2 through 6. The purpose. And then we'll end in verse 7 with the foundation of Proverbs. The foundation of Proverbs. So, in verse 1 comes the title, and let me read that for us. Proverbs chapter 1, in verse 1. I can get there with my soon frostbitten fingers. The Proverbs of, and I did plan on bringing a jacket, and I forgot it. I am a pro at forgetting things, I guess my wife, so uh, it's all my fault. I should have been wiser. Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So right here at the outset, then we become acquainted with who the author of this book is and what the the genre of this book is. So the author is, is Solomon, right? The, the son of David, the king of Israel. So uh, if you know the story of Solomon, he was given wisdom directly from God. Uh, he was renowned during his reign for possessing this just incredible insights and understanding. Uh, so let me just read you briefly from First Kings chapter four, which is kind of a summary of. This stage in Solomon's kingship. 1 Kings chapter 4, we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east, and all the wisdom of Egypt. For Solomon was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So King Solomon, I mean, his his wisdom remains legendary to this day, right? So I think even for those who are not familiar with the Bible, they know the name Solomon. They, They know him as sort of this this apex of wisdom in world history. And it's this Solomon who is the primary author of the book of Proverbs. Uh, He's not the the only author. So as we'll go through the book, we'll see Proverbs from anonymous wise men. Uh, We'll see Proverbs from men who are named, who are non-Jewish men, like Agur. Uh, Still, Solomon here is presented as the primary author, and that is who he is. He's the primary author of most of Proverbs. And that word Proverbs, then, shows us the genre of this book. It's a book primarily of a proverb, Proverbs. More, more broadly, we can think of Proverbs as a, as a book of wisdom literature or poetry. Uh, and this fits in with four other books in the Bible who are, that are wisdom, literature, and poetry. If you can think of them. Psalms, Psalm of Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Job. So this book is primarily... A book of Proverbs, brief little tweets about, about our lives and about pursuing wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, look at look at uh, the first nine chapters. Just take your, your pages in your Bible and flip them over. And you'll see that the Proverbs, these pithy little sayings, they don't actually start until chapter ten. And at that point they pretty much take over until the the end of the book. So what's the what's the point there? What, what's the structure of Proverbs? Well, in chapters 1 to 9, we see lessons, discourses, teachings about wisdom and foolishness. And the first nine chapters are going to have more of a flow as you read them, more of a connection to each other. Uh, These discourses warn the reader. They're going to warn us, church, uh, to follow the way of wisdom and not the way of foolishness. And they're going again and again, show us why we should do that. And then, with that foundation, with that teaching, then chapters 10 through 31 are little case studies. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? What's the way of wisdom here? And, and we see how wisdom and foolishness are kind of going to work their way into our regular day-to-day lives. So as we study through this book, again, Lord willing, in the months to come, if we've learned anything from COVID, it's to say, Lord willing, and actually believe it. But we plan to kind of take those first nine chapters pretty sequentially, pretty much in order, chapter by chapter, smaller chunks, larger chunks, but we're going to go through the first chapter, first nine chapters, and see what Proverbs would tell us about these two different ways. But then once we hit chapter 10, I mean, you would start leaving the church if we tried to take those sequentially, because there's no really rhyme or reason, it's kind of a potpourri, and there'd be no reason to just go through chapter by chapter. Instead, what we're going to do in chapter 10 and then all the way to chapter 31 it is going to just, we're just going to take themes that we think Solomon and the other writers are thinking that are important. Things like money, parenting, friendship, work, your words. And we're going to take those things and dive in each week into a theme and see what Proverbs would say about that. So that's, that's sort of the nuts and bolts. So let's start, we start verse one with the title, and that kind of introduces us to the, the book. Solomon is the author, primarily. Proverbs is the genre, primarily. But one more thing. Who's the audience? So who is Proverbs written for? Well, if you look through, especially the first nine chapters, you're going to see again, my son, my son, what we see is that kind of the first uh, addressee in mind in Proverbs is a young man. A young man who's on the cusp of adulthood, you know, presumably, who, who his father wants to train up in wisdom. But the, the funny thing about this compared to other sort of literature like this from the ancient Near East and, and other things that we can compare to is that this young man is never named And so what what scholars think, and what I think is a a good way for us to be encouraged this morning, is that one of the reasons the the, the young man is never named is that this is really for Israel. This is for God's people. In in a way, all of us can put ourselves in the place of this young man who is seeking wisdom and seeking to turn away from folly. And so, church, uh, hopefully that gives us kind of a fairly open-ended idea of this book as a book for all God's people all those who truly seek wisdom. It's a book for you and for me. So that's the title and kind of the nuts and bolts of, of this book that we're digging into. Next, let's continue on and see the purpose of Proverbs. The purpose of Proverbs, and we see that in verses 2 through 6. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. And cold fingers in our work with the Bible. It's a stiff pages, you know. Verses 2 through 6. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So, this is answering the question: why in the world was Proverbs compiled to begin with? Why were these Proverbs from Solomon and from other wise men brought together into the inspired word of God for us today? But we see why in these verses. We know what the purpose is for each one of us, Christian. It's so that we might be wise. So that we might know wisdom. It's so that we might be instructed and grow in understanding and knowledge in our lives. So if we're to know wisdom, then what's wisdom? Uh, There's a ton we could say on that. And people have literally said a ton about it. Not literally. Uh, But they have said so much about what wisdom could be. And I, I think that's partially because wisdom is such an intangible idea. When you say somebody is wise, it's just kind of something, it's just kind of a sense you get from them. It's not really something you can put your finger on. So the general idea of the word wisdom, just kind of broadly beyond the book of Proverbs, is that wisdom is a masterful understanding of something. It's a, it's a skill, it's an expertise. So some of you have expertise. You have wisdom in certain areas, in your jobs, that nobody else here has. But wisdom gets a little bit more nuanced in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs digs deeper. And it understands that wisdom is indeed skillful and practical. But Proverbs kind of wants to dig deeper into what wisdom is in light of the face of God. So let me give a stab at a broad, hopefully easy to remember definition for you. Wisdom is the right view of God and his world and living life in it hopefully broad enough, it's probably not specific enough for some folks, but this is kind of what I want us to think of wisdom as, as we jump into this book. Wisdom is the right view of God and his world, and living in light of it. So this wisdom will not only change the way we think, but the way we act and the way we live. It will get incredibly practical, and personal, and sometimes offensive. Because we think we're wise, and Proverbs will show us ways we are not. Here in Proverbs, we sort of see the Bible rolling up its sleeves and getting dirty, getting really personal, and up close with our hearts and our lives. I love how Derek Kidner puts it in his short little concise commentary on Proverbs. He says, Proverbs' function in Scripture is to put godliness into work clothes. So you think, like, you know, for church, uh, we're a pretty informal church, But, you know, when we think about church clothes, we think about getting all dressed up and nice, and you should probably take off those clothes before you get lunch, right? Proverbs is putting the Bible into work clothes. It's getting down and dirty with our lives and showing us wisdom in day-to-day, regular life. And one of the essential components of this, then, is going to be a right view of who God is. Here in the the sort of preamble in verse 4, the The author of Proverbs sort of addresses certain people. At first, he addresses the simple in verse 4. Do you see that? So as we go along in Proverbs, we're going to see who the simple are. They're not quite to the level of fools, uh, but they're kind of on the wrong path. And they're gullible, they're vulnerable, they're naive. To them, Proverbs is going to try to get paid prudence. And we see that parallel then with the youth, which makes sense, right? Young people are usually more vulnerable, gullible, and naive. And it's saying that for the youth, they're going to give discretion and knowledge. And then there in verse 5, the wise are addressed. We see, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So, brother and sister, Christian, if you want to be wise, this verse shows you how you should approach this book going forward. So, as we go into this book in the months to come, should the Lord tarry and should the Lord will, come to hear, come to learn, and come to be guided. Come to hear, come to learn, and come to be guided. And folks, that's going to take humility. Humility for you and humility for me. Wisdom comes from knowing our rightful place before God. And so we must come to be humbled as we approach Proverbs. Let's be clear. When we come to Proverbs, wisdom is not going to be something we just sort of try to grab a hold of and earn for ourselves. One of the most wonderful things about this book is that the more and more we dig into it, the more and more we see that wisdom is a gift from God. It's his revelation to us. So we must come not only to hear his words, but to find him, himself, and to know him better as his people. One scholar says, wisdom begins with a relationship with God. See, if you come to this book to be instructed, you come to be trained, so you can just be a better person, you can be a more moral citizen, you'll miss the point of Proverbs. Proverbs is not only pointing you to godly living, it's pointing you to God. And that's what we see in our final verse and our final point this morning. In verse 7 we see the foundation of wisdom. Proverbs 1 verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So where do we start as we seek to gain wisdom in Proverbs, in our lives? You start with God. We start with the fear of the Lord. It, it's interesting, that word beginning there, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is not so much a starting point in a foot race. This is kind of something that you break through and then leave behind as you go to the finish line. Think of it more as the beginning of building a skyscraper. Digging down deep into bedrock forming a foundation in the earth to then build stories and stories of a skyscraper into the sky. The fear of the Lord is not something that shoots us off into the ether of wisdom, but it's the very foundation we build our wisdom on. True wisdom can only be found in relationship with the true God. We see here, we are to fear this God. The fear of the Lord is not just abject terror, neither is it just simple respect. The fear of the Lord is to understand God correctly, and live underneath His authority, and in submission to His will. See, you can't begin to have true knowledge until you know who the author of knowledge is. You can't begin to have true wisdom until you know the author of wisdom. For He is the beginning of it, and the foundation of it. Now, this isn't to say that those who are not Christians are somehow unintelligent or lack expertise and skill. That would be a dangerous and haughty thing for us to believe. But it is to say, humbly, that they're missing the foundation of the knowledge they possess. If it all starts with God, if it all starts with the fear of the Lord, then it's not just about wise thinking. It's about the right relationship with an all-wise God. Proverbs is not just about wise thinking, it's about the wise relationship we have with the the all-wise thinker. Fools do not have this fear. We see that in the final part of verse 7. They despise it. They despise wisdom. But the wise find wisdom in a wise God. So, Christian, do you fear the Lord? Here's how one writer defines the fear of the Lord. He calls it an affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father, to his father's law. Does that characterize your life? And do you live your life before the face of God, understanding his promises and his warnings, taking them to your heart? Well, friend, Proverbs is going to help you answer that question for yourself. And as we begin to wrap up this intro to Proverbs, look with me once more at that first line in verse seven. So we came across this a lot in Exodus. We came across it every once in a while in the Psalms. But you notice what the name of God is there that's used. It's LORD in all caps. We talk about this probably every four or five weeks. And what is that name? It's a Hebrew name, Yahweh. It's the name of God that he used for Old Testament Israel that communicated all of his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness for his people. And so this reminds us that Proverbs is a covenant book. It's not just kind of like Aesop's Fables you pick up off the shelf in Barnes & Noble. You can still go to Barnes & Noble, by the way, in Ashford. It's one of my favorite places to go. But it's not just something you pick up there. Kind of little witty sayings. Confucius says, right? Proverbs is a book for a certain group of people. And it's a group of people who are in covenant relationship with God. See, if you come to this book like Aesop's fables, you're going to miss it completely. Proverbs is written for those here who fear the Lord. It's written for those who have been made right with God and who are in covenant relationship with Him. In church, what's the only way to be in covenant relationship with God? Is through Jesus Christ. It's not possible through our works, but only through His work on the cross and in His resurrection. See, before we can get practical with Proverbs, see how we can live godly lives, we must come to God and get practical with our sin. And through faith in Christ... Find salvation in him. The one who lived the perfect godly life for us. See, friends, this is the most important thing that we can learn from Proverbs. Jesus is the ultimate wise man. Jesus is the very wisdom of God incarnate. And Proverbs, again and again and again, without mentioning his name, is going to point us to Jesus Christ. Remember, during Jesus' earthly ministry, spoke in wise sayings, in parables. Uh, he was revered as a great teacher. Even in Matthew chapter 12, he referred to himself as something greater than Solomon. But Jesus didn't just come to give the first century equivalent of a TED talk. He didn't just come to show off his intelligence and his insight. No, Jesus, the wisdom of God incarnate, came to die for fools like you and me. Jesus came to those who rejected the fear of the Lord. He came to those who had spurned his Father and earned God's wrath. And Jesus came to die on the cross to take that wrath for any who would confess their sin and foolishness and place their trust in him. Jesus is the true wise man. Salvation in Jesus, do so today. Don't come to Proverbs as a helpful roadmap for your life before coming to Jesus as the only one who can actually save your life. This is how the scholar and, and pastor Anthony Salvaggio puts it. He says, once we recognize that Jesus is the wise man of Proverbs, we find a deeper impetus for embracing the life of wisdom outlined in Proverbs. For we know that when we live wisely according to Proverbs, we are in fact living like Christ. Being conformed into his image and reflecting his glory to the world around us. The imperative to live a Proverbs-driven life flows directly from the grand indicative that Jesus first lived that life for us. Friends, isn't that good news? That we do not have to come to Proverbs expecting it to bludgeon us over the head with how we should do better we come to Proverbs to grow in wisdom that's already been given us in the wisdom, capital W, of God, which is Jesus himself. One, one guy I was reading this week says, WWJD, how can you know what would Jesus do? Read Proverbs. He is the culmination and fulfillment of God's wisdom. If you want to know God's wisdom, you look at Christ. So at Church family, we begin this study, and as we proceed in this book, in the coming months, we're going to be offended by its sharpness, its directness, its abruptness. We're going to be tempted to get our hackles up as we feel Proverbs pushing our buttons, pressing in on our preferences and our pride. Let's not be foolish. Let's not be fools when we read Proverbs, Okay? let's not despise these words of wisdom let's as the wise are instructed in verse 5 let's listen let's learn and let's be guided by the treasure trove of wisdom that's contained here lifting our eyes always to christ who as paul says in first corinthians chapter 1 became to us wisdom from god righteousness and sanctification and redemption may we not come to proverbs merely wanting to be better but want to give more fully place our eyes and our vision on the God of wisdom who sent his son to save us and make us wise. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to be wise. We see so many areas of our lives where we lack wisdom, or we lack a right understanding of you and your world and living life in light of it. We thank you that we can see ourselves as profound fools who have been saved by the profound grace of Christ so that now we can grow in becoming profoundly wise. And so, Lord, we know throughout Proverbs we're going to be shown that the the one who receives wisdom in Proverbs is going to be the one who's humble, not the one who's prideful. So as we come to our final song this morning, we're going to pray it to you, asking that in all our sin and our pride, you would be our vision. Not our own intellect, not our own reputation, but you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name.